Thanks for tuning in to this week's sermon from Oak Hill Church in Humboldt, Iowa. We pray that it helps you to know Christ, grow in Christ, and sow Christ wherever you are. For more information about who we are and what we're doing, go to oakhillhumble.org. I wonder if you have ever been the recipient of someone else's generosity. Have you ever received from someone else just an unexpected gift or blessing? Whenever we are receivers of someone else's generosity, it has a way of inspiring us, doesn't it? There's a beauty to it. It moves our hearts. We want to then give as we've been given. We want to bless as we have been blessed. There's a a beauty to generosity, isn't there? Stories of generosity have a way of inspiring us and motivating us. This past week, I found a couple stories of generosity. Just Googled stories of generosity and found these two. Here's the first one. This morning in my checkout line at the grocery store where I work, a flustered elderly woman realized she was $6 short on cash for her groceries, and she didn't have any other form of payment with her. The three people in line immediately behind her each chipped in $2 so she didn't have to put anything back. Their spontaneous generosity made me smile. Here's another story. Times haven't been easy lately, but people have been kind. We live in a lower middle class neighborhood. My wife has just been diagnosed with breast cancer last week. So my 14-year-old son decided that he wanted to raise money to help pay for some of her medical expenses. His idea was to go door-to-door around the neighborhood with hair clippers and let people shave a part of his head for a small donation of their choosing. He asked me whether a $100 goal would be too much. I told him not to get his hopes up. He came back home 10 minutes ago with a bald head and $1,225. Three people gave him $100 bills. Stories of generosity have a way of moving us, inspiring us, and motivating us. The Apostle Paul in our text this morning is motivating the Corinthians. He's motivating them with the example of these Macedonian churches. And he's telling them about their giving, even in the midst of affliction, even in the midst of poverty. These believers were giving generously and sacrificially to others. And so, if you've got a Bible this morning, I invite you to turn to the book of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians. We have been in a series moving through the book of 1 Corinthians. We're just going to push the pause button on that. We'll come back to that book a little bit later, all right, a few months later, actually. We have a few things that we're going to do before we come back to that book. So we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I want to read verses 1 to 9. This is the word of God. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. 
begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. In this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And so the context again of these verses, Paul is writing to this church at Corinth. He had taken up a collection a year ago uh, for the relief of these Christians, these poor Christians who were living in Jerusalem. And so he's, he's telling them, we, we've got to finish what we started here. You're, you're lagging behind and you're giving, and, and I want to motivate you by the example of these Macedonian churches. Now, Macedonia referred to northern Greece, Corinth was in southern Greece, and Macedonia is where the church at Philippi, where we get the book of Philippians, the church at Thessalonica, where we get the books of First and Second Thessalonians, and, and the church at Berea. So these churches here were experiencing a great deal of poverty and affliction, as we're going to see, and yet they were giving generously to this collection for the relief of these poor Christians there in Jerusalem. And the question I have for you is, how could they be giving so generously? What happened to them? How did this happen? And so I want to outline five principles of giving that we can learn uh, from their example. Here's the first one, probably the most important. The first one is this. Grace is the root. Grace is the root And generosity is the fruit of a heart changed by Jesus. Grace is the root. Generosity is the fruit of a heart that's been changed by Jesus. So back to verses 1 and 2 again. Paul says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. So notice in verse 1, the grace of God has been given to the churches of Macedonia. Past grace, past saving grace, has been given to these churches in Macedonia. When Paul went into Philippi, you remember the first convert there was Lydia. God opened up her heart to see the gospel and receive Christ. And it continued to multiply in that region. The saving grace of God was penetrating these churches. Many people were coming to know the forgiveness of sins through Jesus, the righteousness of Christ alone, that they can be saved through Him. And so they were responding to the grace of God in their lives. But I think he's referring not to just the the past saving grace, but also the, the present grace, the sustaining grace of God in their lives. This is the grace of the gospel that goes Deep into our hearts. This grace runs deeper as a root in the heart of a believer. I want you to see just the logo that uh, we came up with here 
to help us to remember what's happening as we walk through this month of March. So here's what's happened if you're a Christian this morning. Listen, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, this is what's happened to you. You have been given a new heart. It's called regeneration. God has breathed into you this new life so that you see Christ now as beautiful, you know you're a sinner, and you trust in him alone for the forgiveness of your sins. You have a new heart, and out of that new heart begins to grow this this root, this, this deep root of grace that runs deep into your soul. And not just that root that goes deep, but this fruit then emerges and springs forth from your life, this fruit of joy and generous giving. So what was happening in the churches in Macedonia? Grace is the root and generosity is the fruit of a heart that's been changed by Jesus. Grace. It's all over this passage. It's the atmosphere of this text. But notice what happens when grace comes down. We would expect that wealth would rise up. God's blessing us, and so we're experiencing health and wealth. This is what so many Americans believe today, that if I experience the blessing of God, it means that I'm going to be healthy and wealthy. And yet when grace came into the hearts of these believers in Christ, notice what came with it, affliction, a severe test of affliction, and extreme poverty. So these these believers, as they were experiencing the grace of God coming into their hearts, all of a sudden were tested with affliction and persecution from all sides. And we see how they responded to this persecution and this poverty in 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 1. So this is the church at Thessalonica, and Paul writes about them. It says, And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction, with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. This is astonishing. I mean, think, think about this in your own life. God's grace comes as a seed into your heart, and instead of blessing, instead of a life of ease and joy, all of a sudden affliction comes, persecution comes, poverty comes. How do you respond to that? The churches in Macedonia responded with joyful generosity. How? They were rooted in the grace of God. They were able to withstand the severe test and pass the test of affliction because the grace of God had run deep into their hearts. You remember Jesus' words in the parable of the soils in Mark chapter 4 where he writes, And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. There are some of you in this room, you've made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ. 
And yet, when tough times have come, you're not running toward Jesus and clinging to Jesus. You're running from Jesus. This is not what I signed up for. I thought my life would be easier if I became a Christian. It might be harder. There are tests that are coming. Affliction that is coming. Persecution that's coming. Even in this town of Humboldt, Iowa, it will become harder and harder and harder for you to be a sincere believer in Jesus. Will you withstand the world's temptations and afflictions that come at you? Well, these believers in Macedonia, they were experiencing abundance of joy in the midst of affliction. And that tells me that joy is, is not found in our circumstances. It's found in Jesus alone. True joy is this deep, abiding peace in the grace and love of Jesus that can never fade away because it's rooted. It's rooted in the grace of God. And so these believers were experiencing His grace, and I want you to see that out of that grace came generosity. That was the fruit of that root of grace. Their heart had been changed, and they couldn't help but want to give. They were overflowing in a wealth of generosity toward others. Second principle of giving we see in this passage. Sacrificial giving is giving up something you love for something you love even more. Sacrificial giving is giving up something you love for something you love even more. Look at verses 3 and 4. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. So, so notice, they gave according to their means and beyond their means. We could say they gave proportionally and sacrificially. So not only were they giving joyfully, they were giving proportionally and sacrificially here in this text. Proportionally. They were giving according to their income. They were, in some ways, perhaps, regularly offering tithes and offerings on a weekly basis. Now, in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 2, Paul says, On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. So this was a, a weekly, regular rhythm of giving in proportion to your income. The Old Testament talks about a tithe, 10% of your income to the Lord. Now, we're not bound by that anymore, but that becomes a starting place for us as Christians to set aside a tithe, to give to God's work in his kingdom. Proportionally, tithing, some have called, is the training wheels of giving. So if, if you right now in this room have, have not yet started to give, this is a place to start. And, and if it kind of scares you when you hear, wow, 10%, start somewhere. All right, we heard the story of one couple, uh, Jeff and Heather Johnson, how for them, as they were kind of new to our church, when the offering plate came by, they thought, maybe we should give. So they just gave cash. That was a starting point. Then they realized, you know what? 
I realized I'm not a believer in Jesus, and they came to faith in Christ, were then baptized to profess their faith in Jesus, and their heart began to be gripped with God and his kingdom, and they began to give regularly in the form of a check each week as a tithe, 10% of their income. Later on, when they started to see God do great things here in our midst and how he was saving people's lives and how their giving was making a difference, they wanted to give even more. So it's, a, it's kind of a, a process, if you will. Start, start somewhere in giving. Proportionally, they were giving, but not just proportionally, they were giving sacrificially. Now, this is different, right? Some of us in this room, we think, well, I will give sacrificially when God blesses me financially. But we can't, we can't take that from this text, can we? I mean, it wasn't like they were getting like a whole abundance of, of wealth, and now I'll give sacrificially. No, no, they, they were experiencing poverty and affliction, and they were giving beyond their means. How can that happen? Well, their heart had been moved by the grace of God. And sacrificial giving was, was giving up something they loved for something they loved even more. What did they love even more? They loved Christ and his kingdom even more than their comfort. Think about this in your life right now, and I'm, I'm convicted of this as well. Um, we'll probably get a tax return coming up, and I already got ideas of what I want to use that money for. How about you? Does it ever come into your mind that maybe when you get an abundance, that perhaps God is giving that to you first and foremost to think about how you can give, not spend or save? See, we live in a society where it's first we want to spend, then save, and if we have anything left over, maybe we'll give. The scriptures say something different. You start by giving God right away your best. You give generously, and then you save, and then you spend. This, this is the, the way that the scriptures teach about what it means to live faithfully and generously in God's kingdom. So they were giving sacrificially. And notice what it says. I find this fascinating in verse 4. Who's doing the begging for this money? It says they gave of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. So who's begging? It's not Paul. He, he was like, guys, you really need to give. Please, I, I want to I give you a guilt trip so you'll emotionally want to give. No, they're begging him. They're saying, hey, Paul, we, we want to do this. Don't take away our joy. We want to give. They gave according to their means and beyond their means. So sacrificial giving is giving up something you love for something you love even more, what do you love more than money? Third, when you give yourself first to the Lord, you are free to give sacrificially to others. When you give yourself first to the Lord, you are free to give yourself sacrificially to others. Look at verse 5. And this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. If now in the room you're feeling kind of uncomfortable, thinking to yourself, well, if we're talking about money, 
I've heard enough about that in the church. And uh, if that's going to be the theme, I'm out of here. If you have a problem, your problem is not with me. The problem's in your heart. I'm just going to be honest. Money gets at the root of what's in your heart. It does. It exposes what we value most. What's competing for first place in your heart? Jesus says you cannot serve both God and money at the same time. You can't. You can't position yourself to benefit from all of what money gives you and to think and strategize and, and want money to bless you. And at the same time, uh, God, would you do the same? I want you to give me all of what I can, I can have so that I can bless you and benefit you. No, you can't serve both. You can't worship both at the same time. Your, your heart will be crowded out by one. And so the place that it starts here for us is in the heart. Money is a heart issue. Notice they gave themselves first to the Lord. This was worshipful giving. They were worshiping God in their giving. And I want to just back up and ask you this question here because I think it's really, really relevant to this whole theme of giving. Is Jesus Christ for you just a ticket into heaven? Or have you transferred your reliance completely on him? Christianity is not just a ticket into heaven. It's a transfer of reliance upon Christ. He's your Lord. He's not just a quick forgiver of my sins and then a ticket to heaven. No, he is the one I've submitted all of my life to and gladly. He's the one who owns it all. Remember my daughter, Harper, I was... Um, she sometimes just sings songs from Sunday morning, and uh, she was singing, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. And she stopped and said, Daddy, what does that mean, I owe? And it was, it was just a great time to, to share with her, you know, that Jesus has, has done all the work for us on the cross. He loved us so much, he paid our debt and all of our punishment. And so now what, what can we do for him? We don't pay him back. But no, we come to him and say, my whole life is yours. Everything, Jesus. I want you to have it all. Is Jesus your Lord? Does he have it all? Does he reign as king of your life? When you give yourself first to the Lord, entirely to the Lord, you are free to give sacrificially to others. That's the progression you're worshiping Christ, and now you want to bless and be part of the mission of Christ. And notice here in the text in verse 7, he says, But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. There's some of us here in this room, just like the Corinthians, the Corinthians were gifted in many different areas. They were rich in many different areas. Faith, speech, knowledge, all these things. But he says, hey, listen. Excel in the grace of giving as well. Be an excellent giver. This is also a gift. Are you using it for the glory of God? Are you using it to bless others? Point number four. Eagerly give what you have to finish what we started. 
Eagerly give what you have to finish what we started. Look at verse 6. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. Jump down to verse 10. In this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. And so what Paul is saying here is that we started this collection about a year ago, and this is lagging. This is lagging behind. Let's finish what we started. And he's saying, give according to what you have, not to what you don't have. What this means is that Paul is more concerned, and he's concerned with us here this morning as well, God is, not so much about the amount we give, but the attitude in which we give. It's not so much the amount that we give, but the attitude of our hearts when we do give. Next week, we're going to talk about this and what it means to be a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. He does not want to twist your arm. He does not want to guilt you into giving. This is a heart issue. He wants you to be a cheerful giver, just like these Macedonians. They were giving out of the grace of God that had gone down deep into their hearts. And notice this in verses 14 and 15. Your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over and whoever gathered little had no lack. He's actually pointing us back to quoting here from Exodus 16 and he's referring to the time when God gave manna to his people of, the people of Israel and they were to gather that for the day and everybody would contribute and be part of that provision of God. And yet, as you remember in that story, some were hoarding this manna, trying to keep some for leftover for the next day. And what happened to that manna, do you remember? It went bad. It rotted. So the principle here is this. If you want to be a miser with your money, you're going to be miserable. Look at Scrooge, right? His life. I want to keep it all to myself. I want to have the security and to keep all my money. It doesn't work that way. You're not going to be a joyful person. You're going to be empty. This is why so many different people who have millions and billions of dollars in this world, many of them are miserable. Money doesn't equate to happiness. In fact, Jesus says in Acts 20, verse 35, this principle of giving, he says, it is more blessed to give than to receive. The word blessed means happy-making. It's more happy-making for you to give than it is for you to receive. You want to have true joy? Be a generous person. You'll experience a deeper, deeper joy than you ever thought. Finally, principle number five from this passage. The beauty of Jesus' generosity is the single greatest motivation to give. The beauty of Jesus' generosity is the single greatest motivation to give. Look at these verses in verses 8 and 9. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. Let me just stop right there. What he's saying here is this. Your generosity, just like it was here for these churches in Macedonia, their generosity showed proof of their love. 
It was one sign of a changed heart. This was a test. Is your love genuine? One way to find out is, are you giving generously? Verse 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Now he says in verse 8, I say this not as a command to you. Paul says, I, I could command you to give, but I'm, I'm not going to do that. I don't want to do that. He says, I, I, I don't want to command you to give. No, I want to motivate you to give by the greatest giver of all. I want to give you an example. And you should know this example. He says, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he's saying, look at the beauty of Jesus now. I want your eyes to be turned, not the Macedonians anymore. They were, they were a motivation for you to give, but here is the ultimate motivation for why you ought to give generously. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, so think about this, the richness of Jesus, he's not referring to economic wealth here, it's not. He's referring to spiritual wealth, eternal wealth, that Jesus had in the heavens, in all of his glory before he came down here to earth. He had access to all of God's blessings. He was clothed in in glory and, and power, eternally, with the Father. He was rich in a way that we could never even begin to imagine. And yet, the Bible says, he, for your sake, became poor. So what does that mean? Again, we could point to the fact that Jesus, when he came here, he didn't have a whole lot. He didn't really have a place to lay his head. He was physically poor. But that's not what this text really is getting at. It's the fact that he was in spiritual poverty as he came here. He stripped himself of his glory. He came down here basically from riches to rags, right? In the incarnation, God became man, dwelt among us. He had to go through all the stages of human life. Can you imagine that? As a toddler going through puberty. I mean, Jesus experienced all of our humanity, but where we see his poverty up close is at the cross. How could the Son of God be stripped of not just his clothes, but of his glory and his honor to be shamed, to be pinned upon a bloody, ugly cross? He became poor for you. Philippians 2 speaks about how he's emptied himself became a servant, being found in human likeness. He humbled himself, became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Why? Why would he do that for us? It says, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. That's why he did it. Think about the generosity of Jesus. There has never been anyone more poorer and more richer. He who was rich became poor. And this is, this is love. This is great love for us. He was willing to do all of this that we might become spiritually rich. 
We have every spiritual blessing in Christ. Ephesians 1 speaks about these blessings of our adoption, our redemption, the forgiveness of our sins, the hope of our inheritance that's coming to us. All of these are poured out upon us like a waterfall of His grace. He has had so much mercy upon us that we might become truly rich. And that, that grace ought to motivate us then to give as He has first given to us. He has sacrificed his entire life for us. And so as we look at his grace, we give then sacrificially to others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know his grace? Do you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ? Because all of this is not going to make much sense in terms of giving sacrificially if you are not yet truly following Christ today. You will push away from this. You will resist this because your heart is in rebellion, not toward money, but toward the God who loves you and is pursuing you even now. You're not going to find fulfillment in your money. It will never satisfy you. You can try. It will not. Only Christ can satisfy your heart, and he has made a way for you through his death, taking all the punishment you deserve, and in his resurrection, and now offering you new life and forgiveness of your sins if you'd come to him today by faith. You don't have to work for him. don't have to clean yourself up for him. You just come to him, trusting in him alone. And when that happens, your heart is new, and grace is the root, and generosity is the fruit because your heart's been changed by Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we are humbled as we consider the churches there in Macedonia who were experiencing a severe test of affliction, extreme poverty, and yet, because the grace of God had run deep, they were overflowing with generosity. Lord Jesus, I pray that we would first and foremost see the beauty of Jesus' generosity this morning, and that would be the motivation of our heart to give. This is not an emotional appeal that you give to us. This is not a guilt trip that you lay upon us. This is simply saying, I have loved you. Will you go and love others? So Lord, change our hearts as we walk through this month together. Do a work in our hearts that runs deep. Change us. Satisfy us. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.